Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back to uh, Second Hour of Amplify, where our guest is Pastor Mel Lawrence. He's written a book, A Chronicle of Grief, Finding Life After Traumatic Loss. Was his daughter 30 years old, Ella? Eva Helen Lawrence, Eva meaning life, as he explained, Helen Light. And she was someone who glorified God through through her life. One of the main themes, important themes, in the first part of the program, I think, is is expressed in in these words from the book, again, A Chronicle of Grief. We all have to watch out for our friends and family who suddenly experience shocking, frightening loss. They are everywhere. And none of us knows exactly, precisely, deeply how their loss is affecting them. We cannot truly understand. Our job is not to make them feel better, but to be with them. Our mission is not to manufacture faith. Most people do fall back on faith in God. We, the bereaved, realize that it is better to suffer with God than to suffer alone. And um, you write in the book, I don't know if it still exists now, it was only at the beginning of of the trauma, that thinking about the future can be terrifying and peace is possible because real peace can coexist with pain. Are these lessons you are still learning? Ah, we dropped him. I didn't notice he was there. He was there for the longest time. So, uh, but uh, again, um, he was a pastor for 10 years and now is still at the same church, but in a in a different uh, a, a different position. And uh, he and his wife Ingrid, as he explained, experienced grief in a different way than they had uh, previously. And so, um, it's something that happens all the time. And so, Pastor, I was I was speaking about how. Um, you uh the, the one of the main themes was that we have to watch out for our friends and and family and uh 
that that is so critical. Um, none of us knows exactly. You write precisely, deeply how their loss is affecting them. We cannot truly understand. Our job is not to make them feel better, but to be with them. And that's that's really one of the most important lessons to take from this book, isn't it? Yes, for sure. I I believe that people get through really, really difficult losses by knowing that they're not alone. And mm-hmm. so what that means for those of us trying to reach out to our friends who have suffered loss is send a text, send an email, send a card, wonderful cards, but also pick up the phone. I, I found that, you know, with our using text messages and, and emails and messaging other ways these days, we're hesitant to pick up the phone and call. But the people who did call me to just express their sympathy, it was a a huge blessing. And I've been telling people, if the person is too too tied up, if if they don't want to talk, they just won't answer the phone. So don't, don't shy away from people. And here's another thing I would say about being with your bereaved friends and family members, think about it a year down the road, two years down the road. When, when we're watching a bereaved friend go through their grief in the early days or weeks, we think about them and then we, we move on. But if, if you can be one of those few people who send them a note a year later or even two years later or comment to them, you know, I was thinking about your daughter the other day. That's really important because most people won't hang in there for a long time. You uh, cite Scripture, as we should, uh, throughout the book and from Romans eight twenty eight. We know that all thing that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Close quote. And you write the idea is that. God is at work in all of our circumstances, in our gains and our losses. Good things can happen after the worst happens. So is there a way to find purpose in suffering? Yes, there is. And uh, I think for many, many people, the type of loss that you have gone through might be the means for you to support somebody else going through a similar loss. So people who lose a loved one to cancer, for instance, your purpose may be to be a compassionate person to others who go through that type of loss. If you've lost a child, if you've lost somebody to um, suicide or, or something else. So I think the purpose could be that, but, but the purpose can be really simple things, too. I think that in the months that followed our, our daughter's death, just putting a, a meal on the table was purpose. Um, just doing simple things in life for others was purposeful. For me, writing this book, even though I didn't want to do it, there was a purpose in it in order to let people know that they're not, not alone. And when we obsess about our losses, you um, warn us that we give them more than they should have. Yes, there are things 
you know, in a way, if your mind and your emotions go down a certain path, almost anything goes. But if you say to yourself, I'm really stuck on something here, it is not wrong to kind of break that cycle. So for me, in the early days, that meant when I had an escalating amount of fear or distress or anxiety, I knew that it wouldn't be good to just be stuck there. So I would do things to kind of break that cycle. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the things I did, oddly enough, is I, I watched the news on television and as uninspiring and depressing as that can be sometimes, it actually helped me to break the cycle of thinking about the past or worrying about the future and just to focus on the present moment. And um, you write that the emptiness of love is constant, that accepting a harsh reality is better than forgetting the reality. And one of the most purposeful things any of us can do is to show compassion and to be present with those who have suffered loss. We just need to do something. And um, you had talked about your wife, Ingrid, and how she has has helped you. Her grief was different than, than yours. The timing was different. How has she been helpful to you? So it happens even within the family, not just from outside the family. Yeah, it comes in small ways. I mean, one day, I would say probably a few months after Eva passed away, and I was having a, a particularly painful day of grieving that, uh, Ingrid said to me, uh, let me ask you a question. Would, would you have rather we not have had this child at all or to have her for 30 years, and that's that? And it was exactly what I needed to hear at that moment because the answer is obvious. I, I, I was glad that we had the blessing of having her in our lives for those 30 years. So I think we help each other with different things, but a lot of it is trial and error, too. Husbands and wives try to support each other. Going through the loss of a child, whether it's a small child or an adult child, is about the hardest thing that a married couple can go through. And so through trial and error, you say, well, that was helpful and that wasn't helpful. And much of the time, you're not, you're not trying to, you're not trying to make your spouse or somebody else feel better. You're, you're just being with them so that they can get through that day or get through that period. And then they will feel somewhat better. You have this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer that is so powerful. He writes, there is nothing that can replace the absence of someone dear to us. And one should not even attempt to do so. One must simply hold out and endure it. At first, that sounds very hard, but at the same time, it is also a great comfort. For to the extent the emptiness truly remains unfilled, one remains connected to the other person through it. It is wrong to say that God fills the emptiness. God in no way fills it, but much more leaves it precisely unfilled and thus helps us preserve, even in pain, the authentic relationship. Furthermore, the more beautiful and full remembrances, the more difficult the separation. But gratitude transforms the torment of memory into silent joy. One bears 
what was lovely in the past, not as a thorn, but as a precious gift deep within, a hidden treasure of which one can always be certain. And so you believe you still have a relationship with Eva, don't you? Yes, I do. And that, that quote that you just read from Bonhoeffer was hugely helpful to me. Somebody gave me a small piece of paper one day. They had written down this quote. And when I read it, I thought, this is precisely what I'm experiencing, is that it's not that God was filling that empty hole, but the empty hole there was, a, was a, an ongoing reminder of, of the, the goodness of the person that, that you are grieving. But, but you can make it through. You, you make it through by being realistic about that. The people that don't make it through are those that figure they need to find something to fill the hole. And, of course, anybody that uh, is led to make poor choices and filling it with alcohol or, or some other kind of abuse, um, it, it doesn't fill the hole. It, it makes it far, far worse. And uh, took you a while to begin to think of Eva in the past sense, but within the context of believing that it's mysterious, but love is a present reality, even extended to someone who is no longer there. That's a powerful belief. I I found it to be so, and of all of the experiences experiences that I've had in life, that was a new one for me. I, I felt like this daughter who we loved, it, it couldn't possibly be true that our love had come to an end. I mean, her presence with us on one day, three and a half years ago, did come to an end. But but love, love doesn't die and I could say today, not that I loved Eva, but that we, we love her to this day. And it's not just about memories. It's not about scrapbooks. It's about um, a mysterious connectedness that we have with our loved ones. And the Bible calls death sleep, doesn't it? Yes, and I was glad for that, too. Because I thought when our son and daughter were little babies, you know, you see them, you see them lying in bed at night, and there's there's just no more perfect picture of peace than a child who's gone to sleep and the muscles in their face, face have relaxed and they're breathing slowly, and and it's contentment and and so the Bible describes death many different ways, but the fact that it at numerous points describes it as sleep is that there is a rest in that. And I, I did take some comfort in this. In, the, in our daughter's case, she had an illness, and that was distressing and troubling and difficult. But when she passed from this life to the life to come, there was no more pain, no more distress, no more uh, difficulty, all of that had come to an end. And I found myself in those early weeks telling myself over and over, Eva is okay. Eva is not in pain. She's, 
she's not falling off the edge of a cliff right now, which is how it felt in those early days. Like she was in peril. Mm-hmm. No, she, she, she had crossed the line and her pain was over. And I would say the same thing for somebody who maybe they weren't ill, but somebody who died in a car crash or something, um, they, uh, Crossing over that line is very important, and, and the Bible's description of sleep, I think, is for that reason. Rest, rest in peace, as we say yes, on our tombstones right. often. Um, there, there's so many. I could, I, I could read passages from your book all night. Really, I'm going to read another one now. I think within this context, uh, you write, "I'm perfectly content not being able to comprehend eternity." We can both miss our loved ones terribly and be glad that their suffering is over. A trajectory of hope says God, quote, will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the older order of things has passed away, close quote from the book of Revelation. And then you conclude, as much as we cherished and still cherish our daughter, the Creator who chose to bring her into this world cherishes her even more than we can. Otherwise, He would not have created her. I can sleep on that. So that's been a source of consolation and hope for you. Yes. Even in the early weeks, and as I mentioned, Eva passed away 14 days before Father's Day, so that June Father's Day, I was thinking, I would like to be having a different kind of Father's Day than this. But in those early weeks, there were two basic faith things that I fell back on. I mean, of all of the of all of the theology and books that I have on my bookshelves and so on, it really came down to two things. One is the providence of God, that however many days we have in this world, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, not a sparrow falls from the sky without your Heavenly Father caring about them. So my father only lived 27 years in this world. My mother got to her 87th year. My daughter, it was 30 years. For me, I don't know how long I will be alive, but but it all fits under the providence of God. And the second thing that I held on to was the goodness of God, that the only way, the only explanation for how much pain that we were feeling at our daughter's loss is that... um, she was a good gift, and the only way that a human being can be a good gift is if there's a good God who created her. And um, that's the type of thing you, you asked about hope before. That's the type of thing that's a matter of faith, but it gives you hope for what lies ahead in your life. Right. Um, we, we're going to take another quick break. You write that people assume that the sorrow you have for losing your kid is because of what you personally lost. In fact, what I mourn every day is what many people lost. I grieve for Eva's friends. I grieve for what she may have been to so many. I grieve for the hole she left behind in the world. Without her radiance, the world is dimmer. We're going to take this break. 
Welcome back to uh, the final segment of uh, Amplify, where uh, our guest is Pastor Mel Lawrence, who's written a book, Chronicle of Grief, the death of his his daughter. He believes that a part of him has died, but but you speak about a, a mystery. Tell us about the mystery which you write, that there is birth, there is rebirth, and there is final birth into the arms of God, all of it mystery. Well, my daughter at a very young age uh, wrote in a journal that her most cherished belief is, is the mystery of God, God's mysterious love for us. And I thought that's, that's uh, pretty smart for a teenager to realize that. But uh, mystery doesn't mean a, a puzzlement. It doesn't mean that truth evades us. Mystery means that there are the very best parts of life are so big that they go beyond our comprehension. And I think that's true about both the great blessings of life, but also the losses, that they, they go beyond what we can comprehend. And I actually take comfort in saying that there are things that I can't comprehend. The, the mystery of life, the, the mystery of death, the mystery of life after death, uh, faith sometimes is best expressed as I understand things to this point, and beyond that, it's beyond my comprehension. That's, I think, where real faith kicks in. And God is great, God is good, you write. All the attributes of God can be placed in these two truths, and you write, greatness is about being eternal absolutely powerful, all-knowing, and other qualities that we will never fully comprehend. God's goodness, on the other hand, is about relational qualities that we know by revelation, such as God is love, and God is holy, and God is right. And that's where a great deal of our hope comes from, doesn't it? It does, and it also challenges us to the type of lives we're going to live. I think that one of the things that loss points out to us is that life is short, and we can take the years that we have in this world, however many years that may happen to be, and to try to, with God's help, have rightness in our lives and and goodness and uh, and depth and beauty. So, you know, I do funerals as a pastor all the time. I've done a couple of COVID funerals so far, a couple more yet to come, I think. Yes. And I've always thought that at, at somebody's passing, there is an opportunity there for the survivors, for everybody who gathers at a, at a funeral to to kind of take inventory of our lives and say, in what ways can I, with God's help, live a better life tomorrow? And that, that's that's a good thing that comes out of loss. And um, you talk about um, that one-year anniversary that can be so difficult. And for you, it was not, not a good day, and it prompts us um, to 
reflects on what question, what decisions will we make about how we live. And so you raise the question, is it possible that dying promotes better living? How might that be? I, I think it does. The We are at our weakest when we presume that we have control over life. We presume that if we get sick, we'll just go to the pharmacy and get something that's going to make us better that makes us that that kind of presumption doesn't make us better people it's when we are humbled by our fragility our frailty that we are forced to say i had better take life seriously because life is precious life is fragile and I, I really do want to make make the most of of today. That, by the way, is something that before our, our time is up, I really want to stress for your audience, Father Ron, and that is that today is the time that we can have some control over. I gained a whole new perspective on past, present, and future through this experience, and I came out of it being just radically committed to the present day because the past is past. You can't change it. And in the early weeks and months, it was very difficult to think about the past. Even good memories were painful. And the future was frightening. You know, how are we going to face Christmas? How are we going to move ahead? How are we going to survive the fact that our daughter will never walk down the aisle at, at, at a wedding? And the future is entirely hypothetical. We don't know what's going to happen, but the present day is what we can live in. It's the only reality that we have. It's where we can make good choices. And I found that I could handle today, even if I felt as though I couldn't handle thinking about the past very much or speculating about the future. And you choose to live in in today and um, you write that one of the questions um, that was that was you thought a lot during that that first year. It still continues today. You indicate um, that doesn't have any answer is a lot of what ifs, what if, yeah. and um, you indicate it's a mental fight. You can't you can't win, but. Uh, you end up finding prov- you f- comfort in the providence of God uh, eventually. That, And you write that traumatic loss does lead us to self-examination. We may find it difficult to accept what is revealed. I knew that I now had more compassion in my heart toward people going through traumatic loss. I was told that my public speaking and officiating funerals was different than before. But I do confess that sometimes compassion fatigue came more quickly. Yes. Um, I think that, uh, I'm sorry, what was the very first thing? Well, that well, you, let, me, let, me, let, let me go this way, because we just have another 10 minutes. I have so much I'd like to talk to you about yet. But you indicate that healing happens over time, and the adage, time heals, is not true. 
I think that time is the plot line of our healing, but we heal emotionally just like we heal physically because God has designed us with the ability for our emotions or our bodies to gradually heal. But, but anybody that says time heals, that's kind of an, a, a, an attempt to believe in an impersonal force. It also leads us to the idea that after the one-year anniversary of a significant loss, we're going to be okay. Well, that's not necessarily true, especially when you lose a child or an adult child. It's, it's, at, least, it's at least a couple of years that are very difficult. So we can't impose on each other any, any time frames. Uh, I know what I was going to say before. You know, special days that are occasions, whether it's a birthday or Christmas yes. or even New Year's Day, um, we... We, we may want to mark the move into a new year, although 2021 is proving to be not all that easier than 2020 was. But uh, when I said that on, on the one-year anniversary of Eva's passing, I, I, I just wanted to get through the day. That's true. I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to for it to just be an ordinary day. And so I kind of did it that way. I did ordinary things. And then it was easier to go on to the day after that and the day after that. So I, I feel for people that, you know, Christmas is very difficult. By the way, I would, we just came through Christmas, and I would yes. tell your listeners, please be aware of your uh, friends and family members who have had some kind of a grievous loss, that Christmas can be a very difficult time. And it's not that, it's not that they're ignoring the joy of Christmas, but when you think about the dinner table and who's not sitting in that empty chair, when you think about the traditions that get disrupted, be, be aware of that. And uh, I tell church leaders all the time, go ahead and celebrate Christmas with all of the joy, but make sure you keep room for compassion for those who are mourning the loss, especially strongly during the holiday. And you, you write there is... So much good, even though we have to face the bad. Lean into it. Cry out to God. Cling to whatever keeps you going. Cherish those you love. Receive grace when it is extended to you. Offer grace to others. Life goes on. It's worth it. Yeah, I think those are the closing words of the main part of the book. And that's the bottom line for me is uh, the goodness, the goodness that causes us the pain and distress when we lose someone. That's what makes life inherently valuable. That's what makes life a gift. And surviving isn't just surviving. Surviving means to, to, to go on living. And I, I just encourage people all the time, believe that whatever good things you've experienced in the past is what the reality is, um, even though you might have some fear about facing a different kind of future. And um, there are two appendix in your book. Like you said, there's the main part of the book that we just talked about. They are practical matters of grieving and matters of 
faith. And the first one you talk about in practical matters of, of grieving is we need to guard your health. Um, yes. You, you point out that our own physical health can be the furthest thing from our mind in the case of traumatic loss, like the death of a loved one. Yes. Yes, there are many practical matters, and I was glad to include in this book, short as it is, a lot of practicalities, because I think that people need to know um, what to do. Like, you need to talk to your doctor if you're, if you're not sleeping or if you've had a lot of weight loss or a lot of weight gain, or if you're tempted to turn to substances. Um, so your, your physical health matters. And then, and then your relationships with other people. It's understandable that you may be less social after you go through a traumatic loss. There's an irony in that because when you've lost someone, on the one hand, you don't want to have the stress of being with other people. On the other hand, you don't want to be alone. <laughs> um, but uh, social isolation to an extreme degree is, is, a, is a risky thing. So those are just some of the practical things that we can help each other with. Right. And if I could just run through some of the others, the phenomenon known as survivor guilt can cause a person to neglect their own well-being. This does not honor the loved one who has passed away. Adjustments may very well affect the lifestyle of the mourner in areas like the pace of life, levels of responsibility, decision-making. One of the top issues of lifestyle is pace. Mourning is a time of reflection. There needs to be time and energy for it. They may need to ease back into their previous responsibilities. Death does not destroy relationship. Some of the seemingly simplest changes can be the hardest. When, for example, do you change the room or get rid of clothes or other personal belongings of someone who has died? Too much change too quickly is not good, is it? Right, right. And as I say throughout this book, you, you have to just take things as they come. Um, some people, you know, processing the clothing and the belongings of, of the person who has passed away, maybe it's on week one, maybe it's six months, and who, who knows? Uh, we had an experience just a few weeks ago when my wife wanted to go back and look at some of our daughter's scrapbooks and writings and so on. We hadn't really done that in three and a half years. And uh, she did some of it, but it really became kind of overwhelming. So we put the stuff back in the bins and we said, not now. It's, it's, it's more than three years now, but it still feels too soon. And there's no external necessity that we have to do whatever, but when the time is right. And don't be afraid to ask. You're willing to help someone else in need, then make sure you allow them the opportunity to help you. Realize that you may need to express specific and concrete needs. Um, there probably are people who are willing to help. What they need is a specific and concrete request Keep realistic expectations. Over time, it will become easier to sense the benefits of being with other people. It will begin to feel normal again. One thing that will not be helpful is to expect other people to be able to fill the space left by 
the loss. Mourners may have unrealistic expectations, but it is even more likely that other people will have unreasonable expectations. Seek people who understand. And I could go on and on and on and you then talk about uh, when grief gets complicated and that two of the most important manifestations of complicated grief are depression and anxiety and you should show what some of those somewhat some of those thoughts are and then you speak about matters of the faith serious loss can feel like having something torn from you or like the ground you were standing on is shifting and changing making you wonder what will come next our guest this evening has been pastor mel lawrence we've been talking about his book a chronicle of grief finding life about traumatic loss thank you for writing this book I'm sure many people are going to be blessed by it. Thank you, Father Ron. It's been an honor uh, to discuss all of this with you and with your audience. And blessings on you and uh, your family. Thank you so much. I appreciate it greatly. All right. Good night. Good night. So we've come uh, to the end of um, this particular program. Um, Let me... uh, as you've seen, I've, I've done a lot of reading tonight, uh, but let me read uh, these closing closing words in, in the book. I won't get them all in, but uh, Pastor Mel Lawrence writes, No wonder real love has such enduring value. It would not be an exaggeration to say that love is who God is. It is why God made us. It is the substance of good human relationships— It is the reason that life is a process of gain as well as loss. If we are made in the image of God, as Genesis says, and if God is love, as Scripture widely attests, then love is one of those qualities overlapping the divine and the human. If we did not love, we would not hurt when we lose someone close to us. And the opposite is true. If you want to protect yourself from any sense of grieving, if you want to avoid ever having to be a mourner, then don't let yourself love. But if you make that choice, you will cut yourself off from who God is and who humankind is intended to be. You may avoid the sense of loss, but only because you have caused yourself to lose what is most important in life. How do we find God's help when we grieve? We ask God to show us what it is that remains even in the face of devastating loss. And much does remain. We ask God to strengthen our faith, lengthen our hope, and deepen our love. When Jesus himself faced the loneliness and desolation of his own imminent death, he asked several of his friends to abide with him, to remain. His words embellished by hymn writer have often been sung as a prayer by people in need asking God to remain. Abide with me. Fast falls the eventide. The darkness deepens, Lord, within me abide. 
When others, helpers fail and comforts thee, help of the helpless, oh, abide with me. Don't forget then how precious life is and how powerful love is. Tell someone now that you love him or her. Pray for peace as if it depended on you alone. And come back next Sunday and amplify with us.